0: Welcome back for another episode of Views from the Peak, a mini-series created and published by The Peak Church, located here in Apex, North Carolina. Each month, we are sitting down with members of our own congregation to explore stories where they encountered something really challenging to their faith, something that, to be honest, led them to contemplate quitting on God, themselves, and each other altogether. To make sure we offer you another trigger warning here at the beginning of this episode, you might hear in the course of this conversation experiences with depression or infertility or addiction, cancer, suicide, and more. The goal is to capture the raw honesty of what it is like to travel through what we might call the dark valleys of faith. So that on the one hand we can offer the listener, you, some solidarity when you are going through these experiences. But furthermore, so that we can share how folks on the other side have obtained views of God's grace, God's presence, showing up in some of the most unlikely of places. On today's episode, we are sitting down with Chris and Beth Mullenberg. Chris and Beth have been members of our Peak Church family for a number of years now, but they've been married for a whole lot longer. And the Mullenbergs will be the first to tell you that marriage can be hard, that it takes work. And today you're actually gonna hear their story of when they reached a place in their relationship where they didn't see a way out, they didn't see a way forward, where they contemplated quitting altogether. We hope you enjoy. Friends, welcome back for another episode of Views from the Peak. Uh, over the course of these uh, several episodes, we are sitting down with members of our church, members of our community here at the Peak, to hear more about a particular experience uh, that we might sort of categorize, we might describe as a valley of faith. So we, many of us know what those mountaintop experiences are like, but... We don't have a lot of platforms, we don't have a lot of opportunities to hear from folks uh, and what it was like to go through different valleys uh, in their relationships with God and with others. Today, we have the incredible privilege of sitting down with Beth and Chris Mullenberg. Welcome to the podcast, Mullenbergs. Hi. Beth and Chris have been members of our church for a number of years now. And they have a really, really powerful story. They have a very, very real, raw, honest story, uh, particularly on the subject of marriage. So some of you who are listening to this, you are married um, and you've been married for a really long time. So you're going to be able to connect deeply with some of these experiences that they're going to share. Some of you are newly married and hopefully what this conversation does is it gives you a little bit of a landscape and it gives you some... Things to expect and experiences you might encounter to help normalize some of that. So it's not as shocking or uh, scary when you're going through it. Some of you may be premarital. You're not even married or you want to be married one day. And I hope that what this does is um, it casts a story and it casts a picture of marriage that's real, that's authentic, and also deeply, deeply hopeful. And so, Mullenbergs, let's start way back. So let's back up the story way, way, way back. One of the things that I always think is really, really helpful, uh, a really helpful place to start is sort of better understanding and uncovering what models and examples of marriage we had growing up, because I think whether we want to admit it or not, whether we are aware of it or not, they the whether our parents were married forever, or they got divorced, or uh, maybe are the people who parented us were never married, and they had some sort of co-parenting relationship with one another. All of that, whether we're aware of it or not, formed and shaped expectations, assumptions um, as to what we ought to expect one day. And so what kind of marriage did each of your parents have? What did you see growing up? And uh, what influence did that have or not have on you?
1: Um, my original parents got divorced when I was 20 months old, so I ended up living with my father for a long period of time, and he had many different relationships and marriages and whatnot, and so I'm not sure that I, through him, that I saw what a healthy or vulnerable relationship was, or what a marriage was, or even really kind of what a, a male Role model was, um, at sixteen, I was reunited with my birth mother, whom I then went to live with through high school, and she had a long term relationship that turned to marriage and whatnot, and even her relationship was kind of dysfunctional, um, unhealthy in ways, and her husband and her had a like a, a deeper like codependent kind of relationship. Which, I kind of look at as like, oh, these are examples of what a relationship should look like. You know, I honestly didn't know any better. I didn't have what it was in real life versus like what I saw on TV, like the Leave It to Beaver, George or Ward and Joan Cleaver. Like that's what I thought it should be, but it, that wasn't real life. So for me, it was an unknown. I didn't know what to expect or bring to any meaningful or long-term relationship.
0: Did you know growing up, Chris, that did you know it was unhealthy? Or were you like, oh, what's happening on TV? That's not real. What's real is what I see all the time. Or were you like, were you like, there's something just kind of off about this?
1: I I think it was just, it was both, both and. Like Mm -hmm. not having the solid grounding led to, a lot of like you name a movie quote I could probably go off on and be like I know these because my I lived more in the TV world because it was kind of like an escape from the reality of what was going on around me and so the what was really happening in front of me I also thought was like well this must be normal because this has happened in a couple instances okay this must be what the normal thing is
0: got it got it Beth how about you
1: So,
2: um, my parents separated when I was eight, um, and were divorced when I was 11. Um, my extended family has a lot of really good examples of faithful, connected marriage, but my parents, um, really struggled. So my dad is a kind, loving person who also is an alcoholic Um, and my mother, um, is mentally ill and, uh, goes back and forth with addiction and, and some really bad decision-making and, uh, uh, just kind of interpersonal relationships are, are, I wouldn't say they're normal, the way she interacts with people. And so... Um, I had this gentle, caring father who never really stood up for us, Um, and I had this aggressive, abusive mother who used people for power and um, for whatever she could get out of them in the moment. And um, that, that did some interesting things to develop my personality. So I I really learned early on that if I wanted something, I needed to speak up and and stand up. And I also I had a lot of siblings and so I spent a lot of time protecting and caring for people who didn't have a voice and didn't have a a way to access what they needed.
0: Where are you on the birth order? Oldest. Okay. <laughs> <Of> course, oldest. <laughs>
2: Um, and, and so there, there just was a lot of... Um, I should also sort of put in there, you know, the way I got attention uh, was by being the best at certain things. And so um, keeping up whatever the outside appearances were was very important in spite of all the dysfunction behind the scenes. So
0: when they got, you said they separated when you were eight Mm -hmm. and then got divorced shortly after. Was that a shock to you? Was it a, uh, we've kind of seen the, like, how well did they do at concealing or just sort of, it was out in the open, obvious, the dysfunction that was going on?
2: Oh, it was, uh, honestly, it was one of my mother's favorite things was to sort of beat up on my father in front of the kids, like, sort of malign him and and talk about how... And in contrast, my father still to this day has never, ever said a negative word about my mother. He refuses to say anything negative about her because that's my mother. And so, like, I had these two very contrasted role models um, and one of them was really insistent that you needed to have her worldview or you could not be in relationship with her. Um, and then the other one was sort of like, I, and this was the 80s too, so mothers got all, you know, she, how she got custody is sort of almost hilarious, but she had custody of all of us and um, would withhold us from people uh, as, as it suited her because there was child support and if you weren't going to pay for us, then you couldn't have us. And- well, that's
0: a good example of what you said earlier about. It it was all a power game. It's all All a power game. Always. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And so there was, there were these dynamics, but we, we also half the time because she was struggling with other, you know, mental illness and addiction, she couldn't really take care of us or herself. So we would often be moving back in with grandparents or, um, so we had stability. Her parents lived right beside my dad. So, we would live with her parents and, and be safe with them and then she would find a new partner and move out with them. Um, and I don't think either of us quite said this, but it's worth people understanding that we had extensive trauma as children. You know, sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, like we had that, you know to bring with us as we grew up. And neither of us really had the tools to understand what to do with it.
0: Was there a particular moment in time when, so you, and I think your experience is often the experience of anyone who goes through something deeply traumatic or um, suffers from abuse, You, you you nailed it on the head, children don't yet have the tools or even the language was there a moment where how old were you when you became aware of like oh in addition to this other dysfunction i also am carrying around these wounds like 36 yeah, 37 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i laugh only because like how normal is that though like we like there's so many of us listening to this and it, it it's crazy how long... Because we as a society don't talk about that, or we don't make space for that, or it's just now coming out of... And there's still stigmas, but there's still... It's just now becoming acceptable. So 36 for you, Chris. Well, I mean...
2: It's, it's what we're going to talk about later. Talk you talk know, about. know what I mean? Like, but it's mm-hmm. like... Uh, we... When we met... Uh, when we described... Well, let let me get yeah, to okay. that part of we'll like, how we, we meet. Met. <laughs> we'll get Okay.
0: To, so we're going to go there in a minute. Talk to me about... so. You have this experience, um, somewhat volatile experience uh, in each of your homes. You're experiencing this dysfunction. I think it's safe to say in listening to both of those, very little stability in each of those or consistency. Maybe may, maybe you were finding that just not directly from mom and dad and their marriage, so to speak. You're finding it from grandparents. Maybe you're finding it from them individually, but their or marriage... Or the neighbor next door. Yeah, or the neighbor... Na- yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like,
1: I remember having... and Like, I was in the fourth grade and... We talked about you know you start talking about the male female reproductive system and use sex education classes or whatever and i didn't find it comfortable or fitting to be able to talk to either one of my parents at the time i ended up talking to the neighbor next door about it because i was more comfortable with him than either of my parents i didn't feel safe to do so
0: so we're going to talk about eventually how you two met but i i'm curious um did when you, so before you met, eventually you start dating, you start sort of having relationships in middle school and high school and then beyond that. By the, how old were you when you met? I
1: was 20. She was 20, turning 22, had just turned 22.
0: Okay. So all of your relational experience up until that point is going to be mainly middle school, high school, like maybe not middle school, but like high school sort of type relationships and things like that. Was there anything, now that you look back Can you see, like, relationships in high school and stuff and how those were affected, how you approached those relationships, how you engaged those relationships? We'll talk about how it it affected your relationship. But can you now look back and see, like, oh, yeah, like I was I was walking into this relationship with Chris or with Beth already with, like, interesting patterns and ways in which I was relating with people I was dating.
1: (sighs) My experiences growing up were short. Um, We moved around a lot. And so in middle school and high school, it was, well, not so much in high school, but definitely in in middle school and learning is like a quick relationship with with buddies quickly or, you know, you're a teenage boy in middle school, you're going to date somebody. It was just short. It didn't
0: last long um it lasts just as long as the dance does and then the dance is over and it's like i think uh, maybe a little bit longer i'd say a little bit longer than that but um right
1: but but yes and then in high school i had two different high schools that i went to so my relationships there were perpetuated by the fact that i always moved around so i didn't know what to expect from my what was a long-term relationship i didn't have one with my parents or with any friends or family. There was no mm. consistencies there for me to ground it or base us off of to know what that really looked like or even what a healthy one looked like. Yeah, you... and
2: I would say the one of the patterns that I recognized as an older person trying to integrate things is that I would often have a romantic relationship with a guy and a best friend who was a guy. And never should the two be the same person. That's too risky. And so I would have like, um, you know, I was sort of a a long-term serial monogamist and so I would be like really invested in, in like this social status of I have a boyfriend and man, isn't he really cute and smart and capable and all these great things. And I also have at least one male best friend, sometimes three or four male best friends, who are all also really cute, really smart, really capable. And they're who I'm telling the stuff that really matters to my heart to, not my actual romantic partner. That's who shows up at the things with me. Um, And it, it was a long time later before I realized, like, that could be the same person, maybe should be, <laughs> and uh,
0: so. Okay, so you meet. <laughs> Tell us briefly the story of how you met.
1: Um. So I was twenty. I was still in the army, Fort Bragg, Paratrooper Eighty Second. Woo woo. Um, and I couldn't go to any. I had an army buddy of mine who was about the same age, and. He and I obviously couldn't get into any bars or whatever. And so we were like, Let's, we want to go out. We want to have fun. And it was the 3rd of July 97. And so we he knew... He's from the area. So he knew of this place called Club Mars in Raleigh. And so we go there. And it was an interesting place because it had like three different dance floors, different types of music and whatnot. And we're like, okay, it's about the only place we can get into. Let's go in and have fun. It's a holiday weekend. And then... While I'm there, I'm dancing and kind of bouncing around different rooms and then I meet Beth and she's dancing, I'm dancing, having a great time, and then she changes rooms and then.
2: So, (laughs) So I am 22, I've just graduated NC State, I'm working at my first real job. I've been there like a month and a half. But I'm still living in my college apartment and a lot of my roommates aren't twenty-one. And they're like, we wanna go out dancing because we loved to dance. It was like we we at least two nights a week we were dancing, right? So it's a big group of girls and and but oh, like three of them aren't twenty-one, and so we're like, oh man, all right, we gotta go to Mars. It's <laughs> the only place we can get in with you guys. <laughs> So you know he's excited to go to Mars, and we're kind of like, all right, fine. Um, but it was fun. We roll up at Mars, and um, and these you know adorable army guys start dancing with us, and and you know that was great.
0: Did you wear the uniform no, to know. the day? No, not no, 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 <laughs> yeah.
2: But but you can tell a military guy, you know. Um, and uh, what's sort of funny about this because this is my personality um if you don't know me I'm not a large person but I have a large personality and um my group of girlfriends had elected me like the spokesperson for our group I'm the bouncer and so um we were switching he's creepy
0: you can go dance with him like No, no no
2: wait it's worse it's more like um so uh We're changing rooms, and it's clear they're going to try and follow us. And so um, somebody said, tell them the rules, Beth. And I was like, okay. So, you know, I go up to Chris, and I say, here's the rules. If you touch us, we're walking away. Because we had been, you know, like lots of girls in bars are physically assaulted multiple times. So if you touch us, we're walking away. If you follow, I will break your nose. And Chris and his buddy just were like, cool, no problem. And and then just like danced with us the whole night. And we had just this great time. And um, he was younger than me. So I thought it would be great if I could hook him up with my younger roommate.
0: But Chris so, said you left the room and went to the opposite room. So you, sta- you didn't he follow He came with us. came with us. I, came, came, with I us. came with her. But you didn't break his nose.
2: He didn't touch me.
0: Okay okay
2: like inappropriately i mean just say
0: it's
1: it's a club dude's drinking it's a college town dude's getting sloppy not paying attention not being respectful i'm 20 20, i can't drink Mm -hmm. not that (laughs) i really wanted to anyway but you know she had all these things and i was like yeah whatever (laughs) well i got nothing to lose because
0: i'm not going to do any of that it's fine but your first reaction was he's younger i'm going to set him up with someone else
2: that, yeah okay. I, I, and he's in the Army one of my most violent stepfather was in the Army like and so there's a lot of associations with also I don't follow uh, rules very well if I don't agree with them you know like there's a, just a kind of an incompatibility with me in military service and so I just thought, gosh, what an adorable guy you know like and uh, I tried to hook him up with my roommate. Neither my roommate nor him liked each other, and then. But
1: my back. friend that came with me, that roommate and him, got I, together, and today they're still together.
2: Yeah, they're married. They live in Holly Springs. They right. have two kids. So, um, we ended up dancing the last n- dance of the night and um, exchanging phone <laughs> numbers, and and that's really how we. Went. Well,
1: and then well, the I think one of the best parts is that at the end we're dancing to a song, and. We're dancing really close to each other, and she says to me, "Are you trying to kiss me?" And I have like this blank face on my you head. Like me. <laughs> uh, uh, I remember the rules. You said this and this, and so I don't want to get in trouble. And she's like, "Well, if you're just gonna kiss me, just kiss me already." And so then I did. And and then that's when she did give me the real number, not a fake number.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Have this marvelous meet cute moment. <clears throat> uh, you leave that night, you exchange numbers, I assume then there's follow up dates and all of that good stuff. Can you um, take us inside, so take us inside like the dynamics of your relationship early. So when I do premarital counseling with couples all the time, <clears throat> we talk a lot about the infatuation stage and how that's a that's a regular experience for many, many couples you might see different things in one another that annoys you, but you pretend they don't exist because you know, whatever you're you're again, you're in love. Was it, what were the early days, months, years of your relationship? Like, um, you know, was it, was it, was it kind of the one extreme over here where you're just like never fighting? Cause you're just like infatuated and just talking all the time about just how wonderful it is. And it's rainbows and unicorns, or was it, like were you right into the deep end and going and like engaging conflict and talking about stuff and calling each other out on stuff or you might've been somewhere in the middle. Like how would you describe when you think about the early days and you think about what you brought into the relationship and where you were emotionally and how mature you were emotionally coming into that relationship. How would you describe those early days?
1: Well, my expectations of what a relationship was like was Kind of askew. I didn't know what to expect, um, and so I had no real basis to to come come from because of you know early on relationships that I saw were just unhealthy. I I you know I, what I thought was unhealthy because I didn't know what healthy was either. And again, back to the I don't know what to expect um, either out of myself or from. Beth or whoever I was in relationship with kind of thing like it, even back into the dating aspects that's what I saw and then I think what was interesting though is that that second night of us meeting um, we went to a, a park and I did nothing but like spill my guts of like here's my crazy and kind of thing and so Beth was very receptive to that and listened and listened and res- and again, I I think I did that because I didn't know what to expect
0: and whatnot. Well, if you don't have a model to go or like right. a playbook to go off of, you're just going to. That's probably you can either like default to one or the other. You could probably default to like I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm just going to hide the real me for as long as possible. Or you might just be like, screw it, this is who I am. I have no idea what the heck this is or how to do this. Well, but
1: that that's it's half and half of that. I did say all those things, but I really didn't know who I was or who I was trying to be either. So I didn't have the context to be able to explain it all, let alone be in touch enough of it with my own self to say, oh no, this really is who I am. This is what I want out of a relationship. And it led into, much further into our relationship, the me handing over keys and letting Beth drive and me not staying in my own lane or having my own voice being heard.
2: Yeah, so like we quickly became pretty inseparable um, and part of that was you know what, what we kind of joke about now is like I met you, you're crazy was a lot like my crazy. Like you had a parent who was very similar to my parent and I didn't think I was ever going to find somebody who could really understand that and so we sort of pulled out all our junk And then said, great. Your crazy matches my crazy. Let's never speak of this again.
0: Interesting.
2: Let's, like... And so we developed this. And it's also kind of... Chris is kind of talking about this. But he didn't really have a... Like, what's next or a way to go. Uh, It was kind of like, well, I don't know. What's happening now? You know, whatever. Someone's going to tell me. And then I became his like drill sergeant because there's never been a day in my life where I didn't have a plan and and a, you know, like a a thing. And when we met, I was kind of like,
0: like scheduling the proposal and whatnot. I
2: (laughs) I mean, just so
0: you know, I'm anticipating this, this finger feels a little empty at the current moment. I wish
2: I could say that's not (laughs) how it went down, but it definitely is. I mean, it, it was like, look, I'm not wasting time. I know that I have big career aspirations. I know I want to be a mom. I know I want to be married. I know, like, and, and you're cute, but I'm not pouring into somebody who isn't in alignment with those goals. And, you know, I'm only 22, but at the time that felt really old. And, um, you know, and I, but I was like, here's what I want. And he was like, that sounds great. Now, who knows if that really was great or not at the time, but he was like, that sounds great. Yeah. We'll do what you want.
0: Well, and it's kind of what you just said, Chris, of like, you, I mean, just like any 20-year-old, like, you're only somewhat self-aware. I mean, like, even the most self-aware 21-year-old is still 21 years old, so they don't, they've not lived enough.
1: You can't even
0: rent a car. Right. Right. But you don't have enough life experience to know in totality who you are and the things that are impacting you. So at that point, at that stage, you're just like, sure, this feels good. Seems good.
1: Yeah. I I didn't have a plan. I didn't have any big aspirations. And so I think if a, a simplest way of explaining it is I was just kind of on cruise control in my own car.
0: Well, and if, and based off what you shared about your personality, like there's some parts of that, There's some parts of that are actually really, really refreshing. Like, if you've got someone who also, like, is very planned, very organized, very structured. I don't know, like, there's part, like, some of that we can talk about, like, we'll we'll probably get into some of, like, the unhealthy parts of that. But there's also parts of that 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 makes total sense why you would be attracted to Beth. Because she provides the very thing that, like, the very environments that you're searching for that you thrive the most in. The very environment that it doesn't sound like you had a whole lot of.
1: Yeah, I mean grow, growing the growing up part I did had instability. That was the stable part was the instability. And so military brought me stability in in that regard, but from a relational ship aspect Beth's own instability in her growing up, she determined that I don't want to speak for you, but I think this is accurate that she determined it was she was going to make her own stability and come high water that was what she was going to do. And so I saw that, believed in it, and became a, if you will, codependent in it.
2: Yeah. So we be, we sort of said this, you know, we can look back now and be like, oh, the you seeds were he, you sweet babies, <laughs> like the seeds were there from the beginning. But it was like, uh, where I think if you were older, if you were like, 30 when you met a potential life partner you would say okay here's my dreams here's your dreams how do we integrate those I basically had a dream and idea and he said I'll try that on for a while but I thought he was you know in like right or die yeah and I also didn't take the time to explain my dream because you had a similar upbringing as me of course this is what you want and and he was thinking, you know, who knows what you were thinking, but we had a lot of assumptions about uh, the underlying motivation that looked the same on the outside, you know? And so uh, it took a long time for us to figure out what was really happening.
0: So, okay, so how long did you date before you got married? 18 months. 18 months, mm-hmm. 18 okay. <clears throat> so you get married when, so you would be you're 24 mm-hmm. and then you're 22 ish somewhere yeah. in that neighborhood. Or okay. Turning 22, something like that. Yeah. Okay. So did anything change when you got married? So, the, so now you're moving from dating to marriage, early years of marriage. Did anything change in the first, the honeymoon? We always talk about these are the honeymoon years of marriage. Anything change there? How did your relationship evolve? So from a,
1: Changing perspective, I was getting out of the army and going to college. Um, we moved into a neighborhood. We had some friends, and we did some traveling. We were having fun together, doing things, spending a lot of time with each other. But we also had things where it was okay. Beth goes and does her things with her friends, and I would go and do things with my friends. Um, but you know, we it was good. It I don't think I had any complaints or whatever from early on aspect
2: <laughs> Complaints. well i mean he said <laughs> yeah <laughs> no i mean i think uh in a lot of ways i can look back and say it was too easy because um
0: never argued
2: never argued never had a cross word
0: so you had the typified like honeymoon experience of like this is this is so easy this is so, so good.
2: Yeah, I can count on one hand the number of arguments we had in the first 16 years we were married. Wow. And, um, and I think, but I, I also think like this is one of the things that was great about us. We had a, a consistent shared vision of what we were not gonna do, <laughs> we were not gonna be our parents, <laughs> we were not gonna fail at this thing, and we were, um, You know, we were also in our 20s and completely enamored with each other. And um,
1: we already surpassed a lot of stuff that our parents didn't do. I remember standing when we bought our first house. I remember standing in the driveway with the remote control to open and close the door, standing there going, I have a house. It has a garage. This is phenomenal. Like leaps and bounds beyond. And,. We were so bent on not being our parents that I think, at least I, was not aware and or losing sight of that in of itself. Like, wait, gotta still be real and true, and what are your goals? Well, wait, crap, I really didn't have any. I was going along.
2: Well, and it was also like, you know, we were in our 20s, we made no money, and... And we both share this sort of driven um, focus, and so when if the shorthand we use between us is if I'm going to war, you're who I want every time. Buying a house, being in labor, going through a you know a hard family thing, watching people be sick or die. If I'm at war, I want Chris Muhlenberg by my side. Nobody is my ride or die. Better, stronger, and and the same for me with him. If he is going through a hard thing, we know how to, you know, compartmentalize, put everything to the side and focus on the crisis for each other. And so those early years were easy for us because it was so much better. For us, like we were pulling ourselves out of the crises that our parents made. We were making new lives, a new kind of potential future that I don't think either of us really thought was possible.
0: Changing the pattern that was given to us from our parents. Well, and it's so interesting to hear the language you use to describe that era uh, a lot of like wartime, yeah. fighting imagery. And it makes total sense, right? Because like in those early days, especially if you're coming out of that environment, you're coming out of that home, it is a fight because you're constantly at war with, okay, I'm not going to become my mom. We are not going to go down that same path. We are not going. So, but I find it so fascinating. I heard it once that someone said, um, sometimes you need a very different uh, partner. You need a very different leader, a very different teammate in wartime, than you need in peacetime, yes. and I th- I found it really fascinating because this person went on to say sometimes sometimes the person you need when you're in wartime br- it can't bring the things or doesn't know how to bring things or actually just doesn't even know how to inhabit peace. Like I've heard it actually said that like sometimes people who are uh, who stro- who are who are really good in a crisis sometimes they're not good at peace and so they will cause crisis in the midst of peace because they don't actually know how to exist in peace mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. and so I find that interesting that it's like so <clears throat> so long as there was a battle to be fought you or were dragons good. to slay yeah you're yeah, good yeah. like let's go we know how to do this we know how to survive like we've been doing this.
2: Not just survive. We know how to win. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's not just about, like, scraping by. Our parents scraped by. Mm-hmm. We won. And that's an important, like, part of our early narrative is, like, this is, you know, this is a new dawn. This is a new day. We're in a new thing. Um, our entire lives until we met and married each other was about survival, was about... You know, one foot in front of the other and then here we are together two people on a team and we are thriving by every measure of the external world so I, I wouldn't say internally we were thriving but no one would have looked at us and said oh that couple is messed up mm. you would have looked at us and said
1: wow look at that couple
2: and where did they come from and what did they do and how are they here? Like, look at this. And um,
0: everything you wanted desperately, growing up.
2: Yes, we we made that happen. Yeah,
0: yeah. I almost think of it in terms of like an analogy of a a soldier who goes off to war, lives in war for so long, and then comes back to civilian life. Yeah, and has just has doesn't even know how to exist anymore. And like that's well, probably that was
1: part of it. That was that was our part of our love story of you know we know how to go to war with each other but we didn't know how to be at peace with one another let alone by ourselves
2: yeah like we i don't think we actually realized this dream we were making was going to end up in a peaceful place and once you arrive then what <laughs>
0: <laughs> once the once the monster has been slain like yeah. Then what do you do? You're like You're
2: left with yourself.
0: Yeah. Mm. And then the monster is no longer external. It's yeah. you. <laughs> So let's make that shift. <clears throat> let's make that shift. So, again, the whole the whole purpose of this podcast is is to explore areas of our lives, areas of our faith, areas of our relationships um, that were valleys. They were dark. They were confusing. They were disorienting. So, like one of my favorite phrases: your way of relating to one another it worked until it didn't. When did it stop working? That mode, that way of relating to one another, and and was it obvious, or was it just sort of like <laughs> it wasn't obvious till later? <laughs>
2: um, I think it was obvious, <laughs> but um,
1: so there was lead up.
2: There was lead up to.
1: Like, the, like yeah. i, I, I let me use my analogy. Yeah. So the the lead up of it was think of like a, your. You're boiling a, a pot of water... Or you're starting to boil a pot of water... And you throw the frogs in it... And you're going to boil the frogs... Because you want frog legs... And... I love how over, southern this over podcast time, has turned... <laughs> I, I'm not from the south... <laughs> the south is my home... <laughs> the... The... You start your marriage off... And you just turn the water on... And the frogs are in there... Everything is fine... And it's just on a, a very low temperature... But over time... The temperature gradually increases but the lid is still on it you're not letting off any steam you're not letting anything out you're not even checking in on the frogs to say "Hey, what's going on right and so over the time the the pot began to boil but the lid is on super tight until one day it just finally explodes right and that's in essence what happened it took us 16 years to get there but that's what happened
0: it was on a low summer for 16 years
1: Okay. Yeah. And so all of those frustrations, unspoken words, unvetted ideas or thoughts or desires or wants or problems of like disagreements on, I really didn't want to do that, but I love you and we did it anyway, but I'm still going to hold this resentment inside and not really let it out. All finally just came to the
0: point of explosion and. Can I, real quick, can I ask uh-huh. a, clair, a clarifying question? Because I, there's, you're not the only couple to bury resentment for, you know, months, years, or whatever. Decades. Decades, Decades. in this case. What what was the justification for you? Just because I'm curious, because I think some listeners, some like, some people who listen to this might go, oh, yeah, I buried it because of, like, I was just a peacekeeper or whatever. Mm-hmm. Was it for you? Was it, like, this, back to this analogy of wartime? Was it, like... That's annoying, but like I'm going to let it slide because we're still doing this thing. Like we're still killing this monster. Well, if monster. you go
2: back to the initial beginnings, it yeah. was like Beth's got a plan. She's she's the chairman of the board, she's the general. Chris is along for the ride. Well, 20-year-old Chris along for the ride is very different than 30-year-old Chris. But we never had a overruling the chairman of the board
1: conversation
2: you know i mean so
1: and you know my own ungrown or un worked through traumas of childhood abandonment and fear of abandonment really or anything like that led to me not saying something not speaking my mind or letting my voice be heard because well what does it matter because beth's got the plan i i'm just gonna fall in line
0: and I'd rather not be abandoned. Like if I got to choose, but right. like, right. in your mind, exactly. you're like, there's only two solutions. That's it's if I speak up, I'm going to get abandoned, or I can just shut up right. and stay in Fear this. Fear yeah. of
1: being abandoned bled into the, all the codependency aspects of.
2: Yeah, and and we we haven't really talked about this yet, but we definitely had. a... Like, neither of us really liked feelings, you know. Um, but if I could sort of see and manage his feelings, then then. You know, I could organize life so that he wouldn't have to deal with his feelings and I wouldn't have to deal with my feelings because my number one people to deal with aren't me. They're him and our kids. And so, like, that's a good pastime and hobby, too. I just focus externally and there's a lot to keep up with there. And then I don't have to think about whether or not I'm getting what I need or or and and. Lord knows he's not supposed to think about if he's getting what he needs. That's my job. I'm supposed to think about if he's getting it. And so it was this interesting, like, here's all my feelings. You keep them for me, and I don't have to feel them. Um, And I've got the plan, and you're not going to argue with me about it. But there was also, like, again... We had these similar childhoods, and so I I don't know why, but I was always expecting if something really bothered him, he was going to tell me. Because there was no way I was going to sit still if something bothered me too much. And
1: (laughs) 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 It took forever for us to realize, oh, we're not the same.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah.
1: So
2: is a really <laughs> disturbingly long am- amount of therapy to realize that.
0: But that's that's super interesting because how I think this is why, like, when you meet someone and you marry someone when you're young and you're in the infatuation stage and things like that, especially if you have a super powerful bonding moment, which you guys had on your second date when you were like, look at all my crazy. Oh, my gosh, I got matching crazy. We're twinsies with our with our crazy. <laughs> there's something that kind of can happen where you're just sort of like it's so weird but it's like our our young like unevolved brains go oh
1: well if it was we th- are the
0: same person right
1: yes. if it wasn't from the fact that I was from the west coast and I came out to the east Coast we might have been related and come from the same area
0: hmm.
2: yeah um. there, there were just so many parallels and so many and so then that led to a lot of assumptions and and we didn't have language skills. We didn't communicate. We didn't understand feelings. We've got massive unresolved trauma just sitting in a closet waiting to hit us. And and we're fine. Nothing Every, to see
0: here, folks. Nothing we're to wrong. see
2: here, folks. Keep it rolling.
0: <laughs> it's fine. Yeah.
2: yeah. And, 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 you know, in our early years, it was like, no, it's fine. By 35, it's like, it's fine. But, I mean... It wasn't for either of us.
0: So you use the analogy of the boiling pot. So were there sort of like, walk me through. So at the, some something around the 16, somewhere around the 16 year mark, like, are you starting, is there, is there sort of like more fights starting to happen? Is there, or uh, on the flip side, is there more like secrecy? Is sort of like, what... What what sort of, what, then what, what gave, I guess, like, where did you begin to watch this thing that you had built over 16 years? When did, when, give us like real pictures into like when you started to watch it break and crumble and no longer function.
2: I think over a period of about three or four months, it several things happened simultaneously you know me in my head I was you know kind of reaching a point of I don't know that I want to hold all his feelings I don't know that I care as much I'm not trying to make this right for him uh, to the same degree that I would have before and I I think from his side of interestingly enough at that time I was like I think I'm leaving my job and I think that triggered something in him because like oh you're abandoning something like this is different Um,
0: can I ask one quick clarifying question mm -hmm. so you said you reached a point 16 years in where you were tired of carrying his feelings around Mm -hmm. like it's like these are freaking heavy. And like, why the crap am I holding this? You know, like yeah. you're evolving as a human. So you're starting to go, Oh, that worked. And now it doesn't work for me anymore. Was that coming out in particular behavior towards him? Like, were you starting to quietly resent him? Were you being like, like, was it sort of like passive aggressive of like, get your stuff together, like take care of this. Like, he what did was, it look well, like?
1: There were, yeah. there were little things that were going on that I felt emasculated not heard not seen or not valued and that my thoughts or opinions didn't matter but I also didn't let them out I didn't speak them and I just I had built up through all of that and unresolved childhood trauma I had built up just this overwhelming baggage of anger towards the world and really kind of towards women Um, because Predominantly, I was raised by women because the father figure I had wasn't there, wasn't present. So, how am I to blame that? So, I can let me put the blame on the women that were there. And I intentionally, unintentionally put all that onto Beth. And so, that mixed with her own, like, this is not mine, you deal with it kind of stuff led to the you know the, the pot blowing off or the lid blowing off the pot
2: and and then like so just specifics wise because I you know it's hard to see in someone else's marriage but one instance was I was raised in a church and I wanted more community I wanted more connection so and, and I thought it was important that I show that to our kids so I would I was actually teaching Sunday school and getting up on Sunday mornings and and taking our kids and to you know do this thing and he was having none of it um, but it was also pretty normal for me to take the kids and go do what I wanted to do whether that would be to the farmers market or um, around and Dad might or might not come and earlier I would have been like come on this is fun this is a family thing and now I'm just like. I'm not, like, fine, you do you, I'll do me, you know. Um And so there was what we kind of call independent behavior. But you combine that, which I think is a very cultural thing right now, where there's this thing where women like to say, um, you, you don't have two kids, you have two kids and a husband. Like, you have a third child and your husband. And...
0: Which also is kind of like, so it may not be what's going on in society, it's also kind of the dynamic you grew up with.
2: Exactly. Like it's, your dad.
0: Like your dad's is very like never said anything, exactly. very kind, very sweet. Yeah. And
2: so I think I just got to a point where I was like, you know what, I didn't really want a third child. I wanted a partner, but I've got, I've, I've really got another kid mm. because he's not... He, I'm not allowing him to participate as a fully realized partner, but also he doesn't really want to because he'd, he'd have to wade in and say all these things that, you know, this is our life. This was the dream, and you don't want it. You want to light the dream on fire. Um, but I think also at some point I did too. I was like, wow, this, this is not really... Um, So, I mean, we did have a very... We didn't fight. I'm not even kidding. There were no fights. But there was uh, a day, which happened to be one of our kids' birthdays. We had five or six other kids in our house. Um, We had some family over. And it became really clear that our, we
1: were not okay.
2: And that our marriage as we knew it was done. Of like surreal memory because we were performers so we're singing happy birthday and lighting the candles and going into our master closet to scream whisper at each other and cry and 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 but it was done and and then coming back out to do the presents and then and and trying to just understand Like like you said, the lid blew off the pot. Every vow is broken. So, you know, like I'm trying to give context for people that aren't in our marriage, but neither of us were good partners to each other. And every vow, everything you could imagine probably applied to our marriage. And so
1: the only thing that I will finish that. (laughs) <laughs> okay. The I was gonna say that from that day probably going forward, which may lead into your next question, is that or questions the one thing that did keep us together going forward from that point was that we both knew and were adamant about we have to co parent. We have to be able to co parent, no matter what.
2: Yeah. So I mean To just kind of put it in perspective, it was scorched earth. There was nothing left. It was, you know, the day after the crucifixion, it's dead. And, but, we're a corporation. We have shared property. We have uh, these incredible humans that we made together, that we both adore, And we are not going to be our parents. (laughs) That like it's like oh my gosh, but we are like stubborn to
1: the nth degree. (laughs) We have
2: burnt this thing to the ground, and um, you know there were a lot of uh, really strange times for a while where we tried to figure out. Um, you know, do you move out? Do I move out? Do and and, and are you
0: having these conversations explicitly? Like this, you're, it's no longer like this hidden thing we're not fighting about anymore. Now right. it's reached this point where it's like, right. okay, this is broken. Right. This is all mm. yes.
2: Oh, it's done. Yeah, it's done. <clears throat> and, and also, like on any given day, one of us is like, you can't leave because it can't be done. And and every single time, the other one is like, it is done. Like. And so there's this, what do we do? Um, how, and, and we've got two kids that live with us. And, and it's... So...
1: I think one of the things that early on in that stage or in that season, Beth would constantly say to herself and or me was, just do the next right thing.
2: Thank God for Glennon Doyle. Um...
1: Just do the next right thing. Yeah,
2: because I mean, you're just you're just trying to to. I have no idea what this looks like. I mean, I, I did develop a, a, an image early on that, I mean, is still really my goal for us is when our children get married. I want to be able to dance with him at our wedding, at their wedding, and have nobody wonder if it's gonna be weird, whether we're together or not. And so, like, that really.
1: Ooh, watch that train wreck. Oh. Yeah,
2: I mean, that really <laughs> carried us for mm-hmm. a, a long time. But.
0: Um... How, long, how long did that. So, at the 16 year mark, we'll start falling off the wagon. Score, this doesn't work no, anymore. No, the
1: 16 year mark was. That point was the scorched earth. Okay. Mark of the, the pot blew up, scorched earth, where everything is done. We're starting over. Can we start over? Yeah. What does that look like? What does it even look
0: like? Was there a particular moment that was like the darkest before the dawn, if you will, that was like, this is, this is it. Like it's, this was when you think back on your story.
2: I have a a moment that really sticks with me. We were sitting in, in our living room after our kids had gone to bed and we couldn't even sit on the same piece of furniture together. Like, he's sitting across the room from me, and um, he said something.
1: No, it's, Beth ah. said, what does this look like? Like, what do I get out of this marriage?
2: Like, why and should I stay? Why
1: should I stay? And I, I knew what the answer was in my heart, but when I get stressed out, when I feel... Angst and all of that. I try to bring laughter into it, and so I jokingly said, "Oh, will you get me?" But in reality, the answer was not that for either one of us, because neither one of us had the other, nor did we have ourselves. But what the what the real answer to any of that for both of us? Others might have a different answer, but for either of us, it was we get ourselves. Like, out of this marriage, the reason to stay is because we get ourselves.
2: Yeah, like, we had seen each other go through war. We had seen each other do things. But I don't think either of us understood our own ability to hurt each other. and
1: The adage of hurt people hurt people, right?
2: And so it's like, oh, I'm going to find myself on the other side of this, whether whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, and you've already seen all of the awful. I'm hiding nothing from you anymore. And the only way this is interesting if we move forward is if that becomes the North Star. Because other I gotta figure out who I am, you gotta figure out who you are. We skip that whole step. And if we can help each other do that, this is totally worth it. But if we have to go back to some performative success story where um, I'm just not even interested anymore.
1: It's to the point where, where we've done a lot of work to get to the point where we don't care where we are. It could be in church. It could be a grocery store. It could be in the middle of the highway. If we don't agree on something and we need to talk about it, we're stopping right there in the middle of it. Don't care who sees. And we're going to talk about it. Don't care.
2: And I think... You know, I want so much for Chris to be a fully realized, complete, beloved human. And I think this is what, you know, the marriage vows are supposed to get you to. Like, I want you to be fully fulfilled and realized so much. That's what this is going to teach me. But I didn't know what that was. And now I'm like, oh, I want for him so much because I want it for me too. I want myself to be the full version of me. And I want it so much that even if that means he evolves past me, he makes choices that aren't ones I would make, I'm for it. And that kind of freedom and support is really what we moved in. With a lot of therapy, (laughs) not, not from our own sort of wisdom, but from a lot of support. That's where we have evolved to.
0: So at some point you guys may, each of you had to make that shift internally and then somewhat, I'm sure at some point in the conversation, you made it externally. It was like, we're going to, we're going to work at this thing. Obviously going to, you agreed to go to therapy together and those sorts of things. I'm just going to. I, I
2: kind of want to say a little bit about therapy. Because please. I think people. So we had three therapists for. Uh, I think Chris had a therapist. I had a therapist. We had a therapist. And we went to therapy either independently or together for three years. So sometimes I think people are like, oh, therapy. I'll just go for a couple of sessions. Um, And so I I don't want anybody to feel overwhelmed when I say that, but I also just want to, like, if you're in that place where you're like, I don't know, maybe it's time to call time. To not call time requires investment.
0: And I... I hope the same thing happens. I hope when people hear that they don't get intimidated by that, but I hope it sets an accurate expectation that if you're not all healed up by month three of therapy, that's normal. (laughs) That's normal, dude. You're trying to, you're, you're three months in of fixing something you have been living programmed with for 30 something years. So like in actuality, three years actually in a whole that's not very long compared to how long you've been living in it.
2: Yeah. And and I think that's, uh, you know, when we started that kind of journey, it was like, oh, okay, well, I mean, we're, you know, we're doing the next right step. And, and then it became, you know, some things were easier. Some things were harder. We found other stuff. You know, we didn't start with unpacking childhood trauma in therapy. That became clear. In through a, therapy. Through therapy. Like, oh, you little cuties, you want to like deflect every time we bring up this stuff. This stuff is the reason you didn't have the tools. And so I just, I just want to be clear about that because I, I think there's a lot of weird shame and frustration around therapy, and I think there's also like some thought that it's supposed to be a quick fix. But to actually meet yourself and understand yourself takes some, some time.
0: Can you give us maybe some snapshots into moments when you started feeling more hopeful? Some moments where you were like, um, this, this might be headed somewhere good. Like this actually might work. And i I don't know. Like, do you have like, did you have like lucid moments or like moments of like clarity or lightness that you were like, oh man, like this is, and thank you so much for naming that those may, it may take a while to receive those. Like again, I I, I would hate for people to, I want people to always listen to these conversations and have, like, it may happen faster. You may have feel very, very hopeful two months after a big blow up in your marriage. That's awesome. I'm so glad. So glad. But also, if that doesn't happen in two months, also normal. Also normal. So, but did you have some of those like moments of like.
2: We used to have this analogy. We're big metaphor people, analogy people. And we used to have this analogy about a surfboard. (laughs) And um, Glennon. Was it Glennon? Glennon? She's a yoga mat. Um, But we like, we would have these like days without, you know, weeks without a surfboard flip. And um, and what would happen? You know, we would encounter patterns or ideas or relational things about each other that that would just make us flip the surfboard, and and then
1: unspoken expectations.
2: Yeah, unspoken expectations or triggers from our past or patterns we had set up, and and we would be in this like we 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 were pretty hopeful early on. I think we're pretty optimistic people. And, and so we were pretty hopeful early on. And then we'd have a surfboard flip.
1: Well, it, I think you're more skeptic and I'm more optimistic.
2: Okay. Um, and so, <laughs> okay. And so we'd have a surfboard flip moment. And then it would be how long does it take us to get back up on the surfboard? Whether so, you're
1: actually standing up or just laying belly flat on the yeah. surfboard
2: and in the beginning it would it might take us three weeks to get back on the surfboard we're drowning in our own whatever resentment anger frustration inadequacy one of us is on the surfboard saying take my hand and the other one is like I'm sitting right here (laughs) you will not get me on the surfboard I don't care and then you know we get back on the metaphorical surfboard and we do great for a while and then we flip and Chris tends to be more of a perfectionist than me. And so for a while, you know, Days Without Incident was a like we'd have a surfboard flip and he would just think we had failed.
1: That's it. It's over. She's, it, yeah.
2: It's done. We're never going to do this. And, and so like a measurement I think we have now is like uh, we, we had a surfboard flip moment like two or three weeks ago. It took us like six hours to get back on the surfboard and be like, was it longer?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember what you're calling the surfboard
2: moments. You, Beth was like, I was like, I was
0: right back, back up on that surfboard in six yeah. hours. But, but it
2: was like, you know, we have language for it now for me to say, or him to say like, hold up. Uh, you think we're just bebopping along in the new normal, but I just got dumped in the water again. And by the way, you're my life partner. Get in here. And, and then it's like, okay what happened what happened okay that makes sense let's get back up and it's much faster now we, we have better tools but you know can I ask that. a
0: totally nosy question Yeah. when you said earlier that like one of one of the ways and one of the tools that you use to get back up on the surfboard is just like brutal and immediate honesty you're like i don't care where we are mm-hmm. this is a super nosy question yeah. what is like the most awkward place where you were like it's like sure you can have like a full-blown conversation at home did you ever like oh. were you like in a target one time and no, just no, no, like no. nope we're having this conversation right now let's go
2: the worst like don't invite us to a party at your house <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. everyone's because having a christmas party literally your
2: happened to us multiple times where we're at a get-together and uh something makes one of us uncomfortable you know someone's being too friendly or somebody's offering it, it just right then right there doesn't matter if it's your best friend i mean we try and not make it uncomfortable for other people but you know hey two people at your house who came over for a thing suddenly they're out front on the porch Looking serious. Is everything okay, guys? Yeah, we're fine. We may be back in. We may not.
0: We're surfing. That's your it, short term. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> you're sure you're the lingo. <laughs> yeah,
2: but there's no, like, oh, this is fine. We'll talk about this later. Mm. If one of us... Uh, mm. If one of us says Oklahoma, like in Ted Lasso, like, it's there. Right then. Like,
0: there we
2: go. You gotta go. There we go. Um, and it it is. I mean, it probably took us two years before we could actually socialize with anybody with any kind of sanity.
0: Well, and because like, and that actually is interesting and we'll start to wind down, but like, I think especially if you lived so much of your married existence in a performative style, it's almost like, I think if it were, I, I've, I could see myself feeling like I don't, I don't know if I trust myself enough to be in social gatherings without defaulting to this performative mode. So I got to figure this out first, and I got to figure this out first. I'm point like I'm like i figure myself out, figure my relationship out, because I got to figure out a different way to socially engage than plug it up and don't talk about it, or railroad and or take care of needs ahead of time and not check in. Like that so make like that's interesting. Like it makes sense. Well, it's all about
1: also having learning where your own boundaries were and being able to hold that holy ground towards other people and say it's not about them because it's about you in that stage like being able to be in social settings for me was highly anxiety producing and I could not do it so when faced with it I would have my own surfboard flipping moment and it would take me a while to get out of that and be able to even go into that scenario. And even if I did, I would be so high strung that it would take me at least a week to even try to recover from it. So Yeah. And
2: and there's weird things about us still socially where I think if, you, if your marriage hasn't had a breakdown, you're like, oh, it's fine. You're going to lunch with such and such. Like, why is your husband, you know... One of us may call the other one and say, where are you? FaceTime me right now. And that's part of our you know, accountability with each other is like, who are you with? Where are you with? I have all your passwords. You have all my passwords. Like there's no, that's not culturally something that I think the world does. Um, and at, or at least the Western world. And I think we had to except that maybe we weren't gonna be that cool ever again you know like or that independent ever again if we wanted to be married we could do that if we didn't you know I don't have to answer to anybody except you're my partner and and yeah this makes sense if you want to know something I'll tell you no no lines or barriers and that that took a long time that was a hard thing because I think this expectation of privacy and this expectation of uh, kind of being this independent, functioning person in the world, mm-hmm. we agreed to give up some of that for each other. Um,
1: it's one of our... So we rewrote our own covenant to each other. Yeah. And that's one of the things of no... um no independent
0: like behaviors
2: and no no like secrecy so it's like
0: um, like not not independent in the sense of like you're not allowed to have different likes or dislikes or preferences no. or whatever it's more so like no no secrecy no no duplicitous sort of existence yeah. sort of thing mm. yeah last question what so you rewrote your wedding vows and you wrote put stuff no, like
1: no 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 No, I I wouldn't call it wedding vows. It's a covenant between us as partners, as friends. And yes, it is part of our marriage, but it is our corporation with each other. In order for us to continue on as a corporation, as partners, as a married couple, it's all of the things. It's not just about
0: wedding vows. Yeah.
2: It's very unromantic.
0: (laughs) Well, so... Well, my last question was going to be this, like, if there are people who are listening to this and they're like, man, we just need a, we need a new covenant. Or maybe there's people who are listening to this who are new in the relationship and they're like, oh, we never really did any of that. Or there are people who are not even married and they want to be married one day or they're thinking about getting married one day. What... So, like, what would each of you, like, if you could lift up one, like, one little, like, bullet point, like, what would, what would you, what would you pass on? What would you share with someone else of, like, this has been one of the biggest difference makers for us, that in our covenant, the way we relate with one another, one of the biggest difference makers is, what are the rules we live by is.
2: This isn't really in our covenant, but this is a perspective shift that I think it was really helpful for both of us. Chris is a whole capable person. I am a whole capable person our marriage is a living thing that is separate and distinct from us and we feed it and I, like we were talking about this the other day and it's like oh yeah keep dating your spouse no no, no, no. your dating is very superficial what like, in the way people use it it's, it's not dating it's feeding this Thing that cannot breathe, cannot grow, cannot live without contribution from both of you. So one of you cannot carry your marriage. And it has to be actively considered regularly, like daily, sometimes hourly. And um, if your marriage is sick, it needs a bedside support from both of you or it's going to die. And when your marriage is really healthy, there's nothing more wonderful or transformative, but it is separate from each of you. You make it together.
1: How about you? I just keep thinking about, like, reiteration of what Beth said, but I also think about Dr. Harley's stuff of, like, he has tons of stuff. On the but internet. On, on the internet, sorry. But he talks about a fractured relationship that needs mending. And if both parties are going to do that, then it takes at least 40 hours a week of commitment that you both have to do. On a healthy relationship, it's like 20. But on one that's broken or fractured, it takes 40 plus hours per week of intentional time together doing stuff that's fun, doing stuff that's real, doing stuff that's hard to do. Along with understanding each other's top five needs out of 10. Like you have to structure those and understand them that it's your job to give your spouse, your significant other, those things that they need out of that list. And you have to be true and honest with yourself to be able to like, your needs can be totally different and that doesn't matter. But your significant person looks to you for those needs because if you don't give them those needs they're going to go find it someplace places
0: friends thank you again for tuning in for another episode of views from the peak Please consider subscribing to our podcast channel wherever you get your podcasts or even consider leaving a rating so that more people can access these stories. If you're searching for more information about our church, sermons, ministries, programs offered by The Peak, simply head over to www.thepeakchurch.org. I have been your host, Pastor Kyle Meyer. We look forward to seeing you next time.